everyone, it's Pastor Dominic from Gold Street Garden Church. It's such an honor to have you on the podcast channel. In our most recent live stream recording, we had some technical issues at the beginning of the sermon, and I wanted to make sure that I brought context to the intro that is missing from the recording you're about to hear. We as a body have been focusing on the return of Christ, getting our affections and our hope fixated on our bridegroom's return. This produces the fruit in our lives that glorifies God, glorifies the Father. We, as a body, declared war on the spirit of accusation this past service. And this message is all based around that, that as we are preparing for the return of Christ, as we are preparing our hearts to stand before the Lord, we want to make sure that our love for one another is transcendent from anything in this world, that the Spirit truly is, we're yielding to the Spirit to knit our hearts together in love, that we are learning to wash one another's feet because our relationships with one another are the expression and the representation of our relationship with God. In John 17, we find Jesus's prayer of our oneness will reveal that the Father has sent him And I want us to be recipients of Jesus's prayer, not the resistance to his prayer. God desires a people, a people who reflect the nature and the image of his son. It's easy to love God until he says, the way you love your brother or sister is connected to the way you love me. That's where we find in 1 John, this message encompasses this reality that we need to contend as a body and we need to learn to truly follow in the footsteps of Jesus and loving one another. The Spirit has empowered us to love one another in a supernatural way. Final scripture I want to read to you right before it starts up is 1 Peter 4, 7 through 8. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. If you notice what we just read, In the end of all things, it tells us above all, have fervent love for one another. This is what provokes the return of Christ. This is what provokes our bridegroom when he sees a people with self-sacrificial love for one another crying out for the one that they desire so deeply. I pray that this message blesses you and it challenges you to go to another level of contending for real relationships in the body of Christ that magnify the relationship that you have with the Father. We love you all. God bless. Glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one in us just as we are one. Well, what is this glory? He's giving his glory for oneness. He's giving his glory to show we need each other. I don't know about you. You need to look around the room some more and say, we need each other. Like we... Like, I'm thankful that you're in this body. Oh, man. Verse 23, and I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And one thing Rebecca pointed out that I, I loved was she said this, and it's, it, this is something that is washed over, that I, I actually used to joke a lot when sometimes in premarital counseling or things like that, when people say there's no such thing as a perfect relationship, I say that's false because God the Father and the Holy Spirit have been getting together just fine for eternity. <laughs> there is a perfect relationship and we're invited into it. And not only are we invited into it, they actually modeled it. And they're asking us to behold it, to look at the way that they love one another. That's how I want you to interact. That's how I want you to love one another. And then Jesus came to the earth and he, and he, he put flesh to the example. And we'll, we'll talk about that. But let's, I just want to read a few of these um, scriptures so we can hit on some of these points here. Um, here's a couple, of, and I know that you probably won't like this statement, but I want to say it anyway. <laughs> our relationships with one another are the expression and representation of our relationship with God. Now, just think about this. What is one of the biggest arguments in the church right now? It's just me and God. Like, I don't need the church. The church has hurt me. I don't want to go to church. I don't want, I, once again, I love Jesus, but I hate his body is what they're indirectly saying. And 
there's a lot of people that claim they have intimacy with God, but their relationships with people do not reflect that. Because if you're truly intimate with him, it will cause you to, to be relational with people the way he's relational with you. This is why if we just attend the church and just say, amen, brother, and walk out the door, nobody's growing. Nobody, it's not even desirable. I, you know, you could have more community at the bar. There are people that will listen to you talk 3 a.m. in the morning while you're just drinking your life away. You can find more compassion in a bar than some churches. Let it not be us. Let us correct our ways. Let people see this body. And let us mirror it. Instead of us bad-mouthing another church in the area, let us begin to pray for our brothers and sisters, saying that, God, let us be one. And it's going to be important that there are people in this room that are like, yeah, I, I agree with this. I want to see. But God is going to ask you to model it. So don't say amen to it if you're not ready to become it. You're going to have to be the answer and stop just complaining about the problem. Which the church, the main preaching that I hear sometimes is I hear the preaching on the problem and everybody says amen to the catchphrases that are wrong with the body of Christ. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. It'll get the most clicks on TikTok, Instagram, somebody bad-mouthing the church. Yeah, brother, that's right. That's right. Like, like, like. But I don't see anybody. I, and I, that's a, that, see, that was a wrong phrase of me. There are people out there doing this. And you see, we got to be watchful in our, in our language and our tongue that there are people that are beginning to represent this. And we need to do it with humility. When we carry the ark, we have to do it together, unified as priest, not one like, let me be in the front. There's so many people that, you, and, this is, and we'll get to this, but I'm just firing things out while they're coming. Pride will prolong every process of maturity. I'm going to say that again. Pride will prolong every process of maturity. If you're not willing to humble yourself, get ready for a lifetime of wilderness. God will make you walk around that, that wilderness, that mountain, as long as it takes. Because he's not letting you in with pride because pride will destroy you. He's trying to expose it by resisting you. It's his mercy. How many people are thankful he's merciful? It's just, it's, it's very easy to love God until he says, the way you love your brother or sister is the way you love me. We can all say we love God until, and what is, where do we get that from? First John, how can you say you love God and hate your brother? The love of God's not in you. John was very frank. He wasn't, he didn't like, you know, and what sometimes we gotta be watchful. We could read that scripture and be like, that's not what he really meant. Whoa, why are we putting words in the mouth of the apostles? Why are we putting words in the mouth of Jesus? We should be listening to the words in their mouth. Not finding a better way to explain it to be convenient to our selfishness. First Peter 4, 7 through 8, if you're taking notes, Peter says this about the end. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And watch this. Above all things. Everyone say above all things. So we're talking about the return of Christ. And Peter is telling us above all, this is what you need to focus on. Prayer and above all, have fervent love for one another. So if we're talking about the return of Christ, what are we commanded right here? That when Jesus comes back, I want to be known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, you know, a lot of times when people hear that statement, I've heard a lot of, and I've, I've done this myself, where people actually think that John the Beloved said, 
on the disciple Jesus loved the most to brag about it. And I've heard sermons actually share that. I've been one of them to share that John just said, I'm the disciple Jesus loves the most. And he did it like braggadociously. I don't believe that based off context. I believe John wanted to walk around and say, I'm the disciple Jesus loved because he wanted everybody to hold him to the standard of Christ. So if you see me, remember, I'm a disciple that Christ loves, which means I have to love you the way he loved me. He wasn't bragging about how loved he was. He was actually creating a standard that he would live by to love others. It changes it a little bit, doesn't it? Have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Romans 15, 5 through 7. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may be one mind and one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us, the glory of God. Do you see that scripture? Have you read that lately? That we need to receive one another, just as Christ has received us. That'll, that'll change your hospitality. That'll change the way you talk to people. And what is one of the, sometimes we're trying to think of the best way to preach the gospel instead of the best way to represent Christ. What happens when you go into a store and you look at somebody the way Jesus would look at them? You hear somebody talking and complaining about something or maybe something, and you walk up to them and say, hey, can I pray with you? Because I believe God cares about that situation. And you're actually acting compassion. But you see, that compassion's actually boldness because the truth is you would never do that if you're just going about your merry day. Sometimes we think boldness is busting through a room when actually boldness is actually loving somebody past your own selfishness. It's actually giving somebody the time of day is actually bold. But we think bonus is just Kool-Aid man busting through a wall. <laughs> bold. No, boldness, boldness is being set apart from this world and loving a way this world cannot love. That's boldness. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.10 now I plead with you. Did you know that this is like Paul saying, this is my deepest desire. I'm calling you into this. This is an invitation. I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Do you see this right here that I'm just reading you a few passages. I, if, if we wanted to just stay on that thread, I, could, I would give you probably 25 more verses easily. But I just want to get us. So everybody say accusation again. Accusation. I really believe this is going to help us just with application and everything. But why would we say we're making war on accusation? This is, this is very important. Well, first off, what is an accusation? An accusation is when someone places blame or guilt on someone. So somebody accusing somebody else for their own problems. This could happen with, you could accuse, you know, the reason I never get my chance is because this person's always this, or this is always this, or this is always this. It's accusation. And you can even accuse yourself. That's what condemnation is. Accusing yourself of always being a failure, um, accepting an identity that is inferior to what God says, okay? But why, why am I saying this? Well, we've been talking about the return of Christ, and it's very important when you read the book of Revelation that it brings up something about who Satan really is. It tells us who he is. It, it tells us his claim to fame, what, he, what his most lethal weapon is. And when we read Revelation 12, verse 10, it says, John says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. And in this context, he's speaking of Satan. You can read Revelation 12. 
And it's, I, I want to pause real quick because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Okay, so think about this. His main weapon is to get us to accuse one another. And I'm going to show you this like super quick tonight to whet your appetite to study this for yourself. But we, we're declaring war on it as a body, okay? Because as soon as you have an accusatory thought against somebody else, you need to immediately cast that sucker down. You need to take it down right away. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and darkness. So the accusation is the spirit. It is a demonic spirit. It is venom, and it's accusations, things that the, the enemy will just say something in your head about somebody else. So he'll whisper a thought, and it's up to you. It's up to you to take that thought down. And you know what I would even do? I would begin to pray for the person that, you're, that the enemy is trying to get you to accuse. Soon as you feel a thought towards that person, you say, you know what, I cast that down, and you begin to pray for them. And you pray God's best over them. And if there literally was an offense, we, we, we talked about it a few weeks ago, forgiveness from the heart. Matthew 18 tells you how you deal with a brother or sister in Christ if there's an offense with the body of Christ. Matthew 18, write it down. Get your instructions. Make sure you're not trying to figure it out your own way or just read a random book on forgiveness or something and not read what the master said, okay? So it, this is important. So we have the accuser of the brethren. So we're declaring war on accusation. But right after this, it gives us the key. It says, and they, speaking of us, overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Everyone say the blood of the lamb. Okay, hold on right there. I'll make this quick. The blood of the lamb. So when the enemy tries to accuse you of your past sin, when the enemy tries to accuse you of sin, that you have repented for. Did you notice how I said have repented for? It's a very, the enemy always has leverage for unrepented sin. He always has leverage to it. I just want you to know that you it's important that you, and it, it's a mind thing, that you're forgiven, you're born again, but unrepented sin will become leverage for him to war with. So it's important to bring it to the Lord and confess and be open. What would be holding you back from asking for forgiveness for something? It would be a blindness or something. So I, I want to say that the blood of the lamb, that when the enemy comes and says, you're still, you're still that liar. You're still that adulterer. You're still that, you're still that lustful mind. You're still this. What do you do? You immediately shut it down and you say, by the blood of the lamb. Because we overcome the accusation by the blood of the lamb. You're not going to be able to throw him down. If you, don't, if you just want to throw him down by your own authority, I'm telling you there's a problem there. Sons of Sceva, we just went through it a little bit with that. You want to throw him down by the blood of the lamb, completely surrendered to the blood of the lamb. But then it also says, and by the word of your testimony. Well, what is the word of your testimony? That is your personal history with God. That is your intimacy with God. Your testimony. Nobody, I, I like to say before, like if somebody tried to convince me God isn't real, it's too late. I'm already doing the backstroke in the pool. <laughs> like it'd be like somebody trying to tell me there's no water in the pool. I'm already doing the backstroke. Like you can't tell me God's not real. I've experienced him. I, I know who he is. Is there anybody else that can say that? The word of your testimony. But then it goes to say that did not love their lives unto the death. You see, the enemy will always bank on accusations because he's going to, he wants to bank on the fact that you love your life more than you love him. And if you love your own worldly life more than you love him, accusations will continue to find a place to land. So we see that he's the accuser of the, the brethren, but where do we find this? Because the book of Revelation is amazing because it actually takes us all the way through the Bible. And where does, where does this accusation even start? Where did this all start? Genesis 3, right? That Adam and Eve are in paradise. They're in the garden. What does the serpent do? Who is a, a, the, the type and shadow of Satan? It was Satan himself. 
that we find Satan coming and what does he do? He accuses God. He's the accuser. And he says, did God really say that? And he's, in, he's insinuating that God is withholding his heart from you. God is withholding things from you. He's accusing. He's accusing. And that's what, what happens is we, we begin to entertain thoughts where we think there's something being withheld. There's something that, that's wrong, that this person's doing this again. And there, there can be manipulation. There can be those things. But I'm telling you that it's so important, our heart posture in the body of Christ, in this room, in this fellowship, that we make war on this and give the enemy no room. Is anybody with me tonight? That I don't want this, I don't want this festering. I want us to be a group of people that confront one another in love. That we, we don't allow things to fester. We deal with it. Amen? So we find here that the spirit of accusation is constantly looking for an offended heart to land. It's always looking. Where is there an offense that the spirit of accusation can begin to just release demonic thoughts. And the thing that's really intense about this is when Adam and Eve did entertain the voice of accusation, that's where the fall of man happened. The fall of man happens, but what, what's really crazy is when God confronts Adam and Eve, what do they begin to do? Adam accuses God and Eve. Eve accuses, so they're now mimicking the image of the accuser. Here's what you all have to understand. When you entertain the spirit of accusation, you give Satan a seat in our congregation. When you entertain the spirit of accusation, you give him a seat in this room. You give him a seat in this body. Let it not be. Let us make war on accusation. Let us not allow each other to tear each other apart or to speak poorly or to think the worst in one another. It's a simple, but it's actually, it, it's, it, it becomes hard when the rubber meets the road on things. And that's why we find, I mean, you'll even see Job is a great example, right? Because in Job chapter one, we find that Job accuses, or, or Satan accuses Job to God's face saying, he will curse you if you take everything from them. Remember, what did we say before? They did not love their lives to what? The death. Job actually shows us that. Because Satan says, let me, have, let me take Job's stuff. He'll curse you, God. And what, when everything gets taken from Job, you know what he does? He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you know how mad that had to make the accuser? Do you know how mad that, had, like Satan's like, I took one of my best shots and he still said, blessed be the name of the Lord. That is how you destroy the spirit of accusation is that you are so fixed on him that whatever this world throws at you, whatever is going on, you are at a place. And I mean, the next chapter, Satan attacks Job with boils and his wife says, curse God to his face. And he says, you, have, you don't know what you speak of. You do not know. He, he would not curse God even when everything in the natural went bad because this world is not our home. There is a bigger war going on. This is something very precious. And just so you understand this, through the, the, the Old Testament specifically, the book of Genesis reveals this, because right after Adam, what happens the next generation, Cain and Abel? What does God say? I like Abel's offering. I don't like Cain's. And because the spirit of accusation is in the bloodline, all of a sudden, Cain doesn't like the fact, fact that God has elevated Abel. And what does Cain do? He kills his brother. Do you know what that is showing us? That when Jesus came to this earth as the elder brother to the Jewish people, what did they do? They killed him because they didn't like, they didn't like the way that the messenger came. They didn't like the way he looked. They didn't like his instructions, but they didn't realize that what he was promising them was what they desperately needed. 
because pride and accusation will blind you from what you really need. You need each other. God actually uses us to humble each other. I don't know about you, but marriage is humbling. Is, any, is there any marriages that can testify to that? Marriage is humbling. Having children, humbling. Family of God, same way. Our rela- it's humbling. It's humbling agents because God's saying, <laughs> now you get it. Now you get it. Yeah. But it doesn't stop there. We have Esau and Jacob, right? Jacob, Esau, the war between the brothers, the war over and over again, the accusing, the backbiting. Jesus is worthy of something way more than this. And that's why we see the vein. It goes all the way through the Old Testament. We see it over and over. And I just really want to say that God will pick someone in, in our midst sometimes. He'll, God will actually elevate an individual or somebody in our midst just to expose everyone's hearts. Why am I not the one that's leading worship? Why am I not the one that's preaching? Why am I not the one that's doing this? Why am I not the one that God... God will elevate somebody just to expose hearts. That's, that's the Bible. I just want you to know. Like, God would elevate people that nobody would pick. He would elevate them just to expose everyone. And God would actually pick people that we would never pick. He would do it on purpose. He would pick the the least qualified one just to say, I'm going to show my glory. I'm going to show my glory. And this is why I, I really, I want to land this moment, not done yet, but land this moment, just to be honest, that when Jesus picked the 12 disciples, so he comes to the earth, okay? He comes to the earth, and it says he prayed all night before he picked the disciples. So, you know, you think, son of God, praying all night, and now he's going to pick the disciples. You would think he would pick, like, the greatest group of people. Like, everybody would be like, man, what a, what a cavalry. Like, what a brigade. And what's crazy is that Jesus actually, when he handpicks the disciples, he didn't pick people that, were, that had compatible personalities. He didn't pick people that shared the same interests or hobbies. He didn't pick people that even had the same views on society. He didn't pick people that were easy to work with. In fact, he picked people that wouldn't get along. He picked people that didn't share the same views. He picked people that were going to argue over who was the greatest. He picked people that would deny him and run away when it got hard. All those reasons, all those indictments are actually the precise reason he picked them. It's because when they would learn to love one another, the Father would get all the glory. Because Jesus is the only thing that brings us together. Could it be that when we learn to wash one another's feet, instead of pull one another down, that the glory of God is clearly seen in our midst? Could it be when we love one another, when our first instinct is to love one another, the glory of God is among us? Is there anybody else in this room that can, that can be honest that there is times that your, even your first instinct is not love? Am I the only one? I, I get challenged, like my first instinct sometimes is not love. And that challenges me. Because Jesus and his disciples, he actually picked Simon the Zealot and he picked Matthew the tax collector. I don't know if you know anything, that would literally be like picking a radical Democrat and a radical Republican and say, let's build a church team. That's what he did in that society. He was saying, I'm going to pick these two and I'm going to show my glory because I'm going to teach them to wash each other's feet. 
that the glory of God is clearly seen when we lay down all of our preferences for his presence. That we lay down everything for him to be glorified. Could that be? Could, could the evidence of God showing up not be people falling on a floor, but people falling in love with one another? Could revival not just be people rolling on the floor, but could revival actually be us praying fervently for one another, grabbing arms together and saying, the world is watching and we want to reveal him. The way we love one another, the way we're quick to forgive, the way that if we even have a slight offense against someone, we walk up to him. And we begin to pray, we begin to love, we begin to, we begin to pour our hearts out. Is anybody, is this res registering with you all? I know it's just, but I just, I love how he took the disciples. And John was known as the son of thunder, right? James and John were known as the sons of thunder and Jesus transforms John into the disciple that's known for love. He went from calling fire down from heaven on people to calling the reign of God's love on people. He went completely, he was transformed by the way Jesus loved. We said it a few weeks ago, but when Jesus was, when they were all fighting over who's the greatest, Jesus was getting a towel to wash their feet. I, 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 we, we joked about it, but it's so real. When they were all fighting over who's the greatest, Jesus could have literally been like, Uh, you can, who's fighting for second place? They're fighting over who's the greatest when the greatest is about to wash their feet. We're fighting over who's getting opportunity instead of loving one another into each other's destinies. Because you hitting your high call, that glorifies him, so I'm going to help you. Because we live in a society where we just want to get so successful for ourselves, but we don't look around the room and say, you know what? You fulfilling your purpose in him brings him glory, so I'm going to help you. I'm going to serve you. It's not about one person's ministry. It's about him. And that God will pick a group of people. He'll pick a, an ecclesia for you to come and be a part of just to reveal his glory. And sometimes I really believe, we're, we're like, we wanna see signs, wonders, and miracles, but I believe one of the greatest miracles is when we're willing to forgive every offense, when we're willing to love one another in a way that's transcendent, I believe we're gonna start seeing signs and wonders galore when the love gets right. Amen? So, ah. Uh, So it's funny, this Sunday when we do the book of Acts, we'll be talking about Paul when he was preaching all night and Eutychus fell through the window and died because Paul preached too long. <laughs> but you know what Paul did? He went down and they prayed for him and he resurrected. And you know what they did? They went back up and he started teaching again. <laughs> I can relate to Paul a lot. I, I get I get there's so much, I, I want you to know as, as, a, as a brother in Christ, as a, just a lover of Jesus, I, I have so much I want to share that God is pulsating in my heart. And I always, and I pray that the Lord would always make what I say tangible and real. Because I, I promise you, I, I do not want to preach something that is fake I don't ever want to look a sermon up online and just regurgitate something. I want it to be fresh for, for our body. I want us to grow. I want us to, to truly hear what he's saying. I want us to, to mature in love. I want when Jesus comes, he would look at this body and say, well done. Right? And it's important that we all have responsibility in that. We all have to love one another in a way. That's why Jesus even picked Judas. 
That's the elephant in the room, right? He picked Judas and he washes Judas's feet. But one of the things that you need to know about Judas though is I actually believe there's another reason Jesus picked Judas. There's a, there's a lot we can learn from Judas's life, sobering. But I actually believe Jesus picked Judas also to give us all an example that the disciples lived with Judas and they could have easily been hurt by his betrayal and used the hurt of his betrayal as an excuse to not contend for oneness ever again. That Jesus will actually pick people to be in your midst to betray you just to see if you, your heart won't grow cold. He'll actually pick people and put them in your midst that'll hurt you just to see if you'll still think he's worthy of what he prayed for. Or will you now say, I'm hurt, so I'm not going to contend for that anymore. I'm not going to be intimate anymore. I'm not going to make myself a part of a fellowship or really open up anymore because I'm hurt by betrayal. Jesus picked Judas and let him in so they would all taste of betrayal. They would all taste of hurt. And then he would come in and say, yes, I was betrayed and I was hurt, but reach your, reach your hand into my, my wounds. I was hurt, but I overcame. I was betrayed, but I overcame, and now I need you to overcome by my blood the word of your testimony, and don't love your life to the death. Cast the accuser down. And we have to understand, what, is, what does Paul tell us? He says that he is the prince and the power of the what? The heir, which means he's not thrown down yet. Jesus took the keys to death. Jesus paid the price for our sacrifice, but we're still on this planet and he's still the God of this world. And the way we tear him down is through the master's instructions. I'm going to talk about humility more next week, but the final thing I want to read to you, could you turn to Ephesians 4? And worship team, you can come. Because I want to give room tonight for us to make covenant with one another. Some of you, if you're with us a lot, you're like, wow, why are we ending so early? And I want you to know it's because I really believe I want to leave more room for altar time at the end. And I think I'm being respectful of people that do need to get home and do have things, but I don't want there to be any excuse to not come forward to the altar. So we're going to cut down on things to make sure we get to altar time sooner. Is everybody good with that? Yeah. So you better come to the altar. <laughs> Or we're going right back to no, just, <laughs> We're going to 11 next week. No, no. <laughs> and we'll see my closings. I don't know. So Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, Paul says this pertaining to the body of Christ. You know, right before I read that, there's a quote the Lord gave me a while back, a sobering one, that if you can talk behind other people's backs, you haven't seen the stripes on his. Okay? If you can talk behind other people's backs, you haven't seen the stripes on his. Destroy Make war on accusation. Don't allow the language of Satan find a vessel in your tongue. Don't allow your tongue to be an instrument for Satan. We have to watch this together. And I actually, 
even when we close tonight, I think it's important that, you know, the home groups that we have, I highly encourage you that the home group that you're attending, that you can find in the home group lead there. And when you're dealing with things, and if you have trusted brothers and sisters in this body, there's a lot of mature saints in this room that I'm so thankful for. Make sure you open up to one another. Make sure you don't just have surface level conversations. Kevin, is there a tissue over here? Make sure you don't just have surface level communication. But we go deep together. So Ephesians 4 says this. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. Once again, beseech is not a word that we use a lot, but it, it means to, to provoke and to call somebody into action, like earnest desire to call you in. It's like a charge, a passionate plea. He's saying, I beg you, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. Okay. Is everybody listening up? What we're about to read, you're going to be responsible for. You can't just read scripture and not see. You were called to walk worthy of something. When we say he is worthy and we sing he is worthy, it has to translate to your life. There's a lot of people ready to sing, but not a lot of people ready to serve. have to get this right here it says with all lowliness and gentleness stop right there Matthew Matthew 11 right Jesus said learn of me I am gentle and lowly in heart Paul is saying let me ask you a question does your life reveal Jesus is a good teacher because he said learn of me does your life reveal that Jesus is the, we would say, does he reveal he's the Lord of your life, but is he teaching you? Is the scriptures teaching you to be humble? Are they teaching you to be gentle? So it says we were called with all lowliness and gentleness, long suffering, bearing one another in love. So how do we walk worthy of this gospel? We have to be patient and bear one another in love. There's a lot of people that are ready to just go, you know, go, go to the nations. There's a lot of people that are ready to just be bold and go out. But this is telling me to walk worthy is to be patient and bear one another in love. You don't need to get on a plane to do that. You can do that tomorrow when your coworkers are annoying you. You could do that tomorrow in ways and I, I want to make this clear that the body of Christ we are held to a different standard there will be people in the secular world there's there's people that you have family members and co-workers that they are not going to respond the way that you want them to at first but I'm telling you you keep representing him and that you when you do preach you preach from compassion you see where they're at as Paul reasoned with people and help them to see the truth. And yes, when we call sin out, we should be calling more sin out in our midst than just yelling it to the world. Because the world is, is so deceived, so darkness. And yes, we'll, we'll take a stand on the things we need to, but if there is sin in the body, we need to make sure, brother, stop. That's not the way. Like we need to have those types of relationships. And if we only have surface relationships, we're not able go deep with one another so finally it says bearing one another in love endeavoring to what keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling one Lord one faith one baptism one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all the last thing read the beginning of Ephesians 4 it says I therefore so you got to find out what the therefore is right so you go to Ephesians 3 and you find Paul's prayer this is where I want to end right here Paul
Paul prays this in verse 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Do you see that this is a call to us all? We're all the family. We're all the saints. We're being called into this. And then it goes on to say, what is the width, the length, the depth, the height? To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us make war on accusation. Let us humble ourselves for restoration. And finally, let our love for one another be the manifestation that Jesus is the head of this body. father are one that the world will know that he was sent father let us be an answer let us step into that reality 
Lord, even when it hurts, even when we have confrontation and dispute with one another, let us contend for oneness. Let us contend for love. For love's sake, let us burn together for him. Forgive us, Lord, for our pride. Forgive us for holding offenses longer than they need to be held. Father, I thank you that we would be a body that is quick to forgive. Father, I thank you you would give us wisdom on how we can wash each other's feet every day. Lord, show us how that can translate in our everyday's life, how we can wash each other's feet. Lord, let the love that we have for one another be a burning emblem. Let Jesus' eyes of fire be seen in the way we love one another. Father, I thank you right now. We declare war on accusation. Any accusatory thoughts that the enemy has ramped up in people's heads, right now we take the sword of the Spirit and we cast it down. We put it to death, as Romans 8.13 says. It says, put to death the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the body. We cast down the spirit of accusation. It has no jurisdiction in the minds and hearts in this room. Father, I thank you that you would give this body wisdom to quickly respond to conviction. Lord, I thank you right now that you would surface any offenses in hearts right now. That, Lord, they wouldn't leave this room without dealing with it. Yes, we pray uncomfortable prayers because he is worthy. He will comfort us. Lord, I thank you right now. Anyone dealing with offense, with a brother or sister in the body of Christ, in this room or abroad, Lord, I thank you right now that they would begin to confess it.